I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. And so the question that you have to ask yourself as listeners out there is, how reliable are you to you? How reliable, everything you do every single moment is playing a role in the foundation for your future self, right? And you're investing in your future health either way to poor health or to wellness. And we say illness versus wellness all the time. And so that's the dilemma. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, my Plan Strong brothers and sisters. This is Rip Esselstyn, and I want to welcome you to another episode of, you guessed it, the Plan Strong podcast. A trip to the doctor is never fun, and I, I get it especially when you know that you're not in the best of health. And no one wants to be told bad news about their health or hear about all the things that they're doing wrong. It's downright discouraging. But that's why it's so important to find medical professionals with compassion and those who are willing to work with you and meet you where you are. That's why I'm super jazzed about today's guest, Dr. Columbus Batiste, a board-certified interventional cardiologist with Kaiser Permanente. And a little side note here, Dr. Batiste actually did his training at Loma Linda, the only Blue Zones region in the United States. Now, not only does Dr. Batiste work with his patients 
using a team-based collaborative approach, but he also explains health in a way that makes sense to you and me. As an interventional cardiologist or plumber for the heart, as he affectionately refers to himself, Dr. Batiste naturally treats disease with medicine and interventions, but he also works with his patients from a mental and emotional standpoint, emphasizing nutrition, stress reduction, and overall well-being. I wanted to take advantage of the time that I had with this brilliant doctor. So today, we talk through a couple of real-life patient case studies, and he provides his initial assessments and recommendations. You may recognize yourself or a loved one as one of these patients, so I hope that you'll give it a listen, spread the word, and take it to heart with me and Dr. Columbus Batiste. Before we hop into this conversation, I'd like to take half a minute and invite you to join our free Plan Strong community. This online portal is packed with people from around the globe who have come together to share recipes, ideas, and solutions to living a whole food, plant-based lifestyle. We have tons of resources for you, free events, and our ever-popular Plan Strong 7-Day Challenge. So grab a friend, commit to a week of 100% Plan Strong Living, and join us at community.planstrong.com. All right, let's get started. It, it is a pleasure to uh, to have you on the Plan Strong Podcast, Columbus. Thank you. Absolutely. It's always great to, to do these, but especially great to kind of finally meet you and speak. I think this is our first time speaking together. No, it, it, it totally is. And I've I've seen you obviously in a lot of different documentaries from Eating You Alive to The Game Changers and um, love and admire your work from afar. So love to dive in a little bit today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the feelings are mutual. I, I, I like to say I take credit for some of the sales of your book. Uh, <laughs> as yeah. I was, I was constantly referring patients to your, uh, to your, yeah. uh, your book, the engine two. Well, you know, and the engine two, it was looking back. I mean, that came out in 2009. It was way ahead of the curve and it's crazy yes. how many books are out there now, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. It yeah. is. But you know, there's always, you know, there's a different flavor for everyone and yep. things resonate with people at different times. So I think there's a value in that still. Absolutely. So what I'd love, uh, I'd love for our listeners to know a little bit of more more about you, uh, Columbus, and your background. So for starters, like where did you grow up? What were you know? Do you have brothers and sisters? What were your parents like? Can you like <laughs> tell tell me about your background? Yeah, no, no, great. Thanks for asking. I always love talking about my family. They were tremendous. So I grew up in in. Los Angeles in California. I was born and raised in Compton, California. Um, two parents who migrated over from Louisiana, part of that whole great migration that happened uh, in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and so forth. And I was the youngest of, of six kids. Wow. And or I, I am the youngest. My eldest, I, I, I'm what you call the pleasant surprise. Right? <laughs> I'm not the mistake. I'm the pleasant surprise. You know, uh, my dad, my dad was 40 at the time. And my mom was uh, in her about 35 or so when they had me. And so I grew up with this emphasis on education. 
And I grew up where, you know, everyone had to go to college, everyone had to go to private school and all of that whole bent like that, that happened with my, my parents. And I also grew up where watching my dad live with diabetes, I thought that was mm -hmm. the norm because he had diabetes ever since I could remember. I remember seeing uh, insulin inside of the refrigerator. I remember seeing syringes there that he would discard and so forth. And that was the norm. I remember looking at his hands and now I know it's from peripheral neuropathy um, as I saw the atrophy in his hands and just studying my dad's fingers in his hands. Mm. And I remember as a kid playing basketball and watching him stumble, you know, re recognizing he was a bit older. Yeah, by the way, today is my birthday. And so when I think about, <laughs> I think about my dad around the same age I am right now as he would stumble and we would go out and play games and basketball and things of that nature, it now makes sense about everything that he was dealing with as a result of this um, diabetes and so forth. So that's how I grew up. And Is your father still alive today? He is not. He's not. He, um, he passed away in 2010, mm -hmm. August 12th of 2010. Um, interesting story, not interesting from a standpoint of like wonderful, but I remember he had been suffering for some time as diabetes had ravaged his body. And I was scheduled to actually fly out of town to go and visit for my brother-in-law's uh, wedding. And I, I stopped by my parents' house, as I oftentimes would, and I saw him, and it's just a look. And I just had this huge surge of emotion. I was like, I can't go. Mm. I can't leave him. And it must have been in the uh, God's will, in the stars, or whatever your belief system is. But all of my siblings converged on the house without communicating, and we all were there when my dad passed. Um, not an easy thing by any stretch of the imagination, but forever changed the tra trajectory of my life, my career, my passion, the way in which I approach things. Yeah. Um, so it, if that informed your career path, uh, it sounds like to become a physician. No, I was actually no. already a physician. Okay. So I was a, I was an interventional cardiologist at that point in time. And I actually was chief of the department, but so I was doing all the standard stuff, pills wow. and procedures and doing more complex. I remember someone joked and they said that years ago, they said, man, I remember Batiste, he's way different now. I remember back in the day, he said, man, the only way for cardiology and for healthcare is to do more procedures. And we need to build this out and do more things like that. And to see where he's at now and talking about green leafy vegetables and plants and eating is yeah. quite a difference. Well, so speaking of that, you, you obviously made a bit of a pivot in yes. your practice, um, which I think says a lot about your character uh, to be open-minded enough. What or who uh, in inspired you to give this plant-based thing a serious look over? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, it was you know, after my dad passed, I really had this introspection. I mean, I felt to be honest with you, Rip, responsible for his passing, in a sense. Not that I caused him to have diabetes, but for the information I did not provide to him. I asked him about his meds. I asked him about his labs. I never asked him about what he was eating. I remember, and then as a result, I, I even contributed as it relates to the shoes I purchased, led to the foot ulcer that then led to him no longer walking. Mm. And so it was a great deal of guilt that combined with patients asking me after I would put stents in and do procedures, hey, doc, what should I eat? Yeah. All these things made me start to look and research. And we didn't have podcasts like this. We didn't have the books in, in ad nauseum like we have now. And so as a result, I started searching and seeking and looking to provide to get answers. And 
I finally, as I read your dad's book, I read many other books, I started looking at the research that was tied to the books uh, in the old school PubMed and so forth and looking at it, it made clear sense to me mm. um, at that point, the direction I needed to go, but I was still scared, right? I mean, if you haven't noticed, I'm a African-American uh, interventional cardiologist. And so we're not a dime a dozen. <laughs> so I was afraid that I was going to be stigmatized as that guy who the weirdo, the guy who's practicing this plant-based vegan style approach with patients yeah. and, and, and people would reprimand me, but I finally d- dived in and I did it. And what was so interesting was in that moment, I was encouraged by two people. And so what year um, is this? What year is this? This is, this is actually 2010. Okay. 2010. I was encouraged by two people. Hans Deal reached out to me to say, Hey, listen, you know what? You're doing great work. There's a great effort that you can do because other people in my med group mentioned me to them. And the other one was none other than your dad. Uh, and I'll be honest, I felt like a, a groupie because I had read your dad's books. I was just starting to look on YouTube and follow some things. And, and he called me and I said, <laughs> he said, uh, Columbus, this is S. <laughs> and I, I paused. I was like, okay, who's playing a joke on me? Right. And so he just, he yeah. was like, you know, I just want to encourage you. You have such a opportunity here to be an agent of change. And he went on, he invited me down there in Cleveland and, and uh, down there to, to, to everything. And I actually went and spent like a little bit. And he said, very philanthropic and said, listen, whatever you need, I'll share with you. I took him up on it. And that was the beginning of everything. That was the launch pad right there yeah. was after being with him. <clears throat> so it's probably one of his five, was it one of his five hour like counseling sessions with uh, like 20, yes. 20, 20 different people? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom was there too as well. Yeah. And then he invited me back to uh, to their home for oh, yeah. dinner. And I met a few other folks and your mom made a wonderful, incredible parfait. So I'm always a texture person. So I don't even do parfaits, right? Yeah. That's not even in my vernacular. And I sat down and I said, what am I going to do now? I have to eat this. <laughs> and I tasted it and I was like, that yeah. was really good. Yeah. I was like, this was, re- this was really good. And the other person who came with me, I was telling her afterwards, I said, this was incredible. And so I enjoyed it. I brought back all the materials. I crafted them and reworked them into my own version, but using him as, as a sounding board. And I've always appreciated your father. Oh, incredible, yeah. incredible man. <clears throat> well, this is all new to me. I had no idea that uh, you had you've been to two pepper Ridge, you, you know, been to visit with him and all that stuff. That's, that's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so tell me, let's go back just a little bit farther. Um, yeah. And then I want to dive in with, with some, some questions for you. Why cardiology? You know, I'll tell you, I, exactly. I wanted to be Lakers team doctor growing up. That was my dream. I, you know, I'm a SoCal boy. I, yeah. I love the Lakers grew up watching Showtime and that was that, but my second year in college, I went and I rotated through a cardiology um, for a summer internship, and I fell in love with it heart. It just made sense. It connected. Every single aspect, it just, it breathed life in me. It breathed mm. this level of excitement. And so that was an easy, easy take for me was as it relates to the heart. And as I began to learn more about it, I realized that, of course, number one killer. I realized that it ravages homes continually. It's the number one driver of healthcare expenditures. And so what greater place than to start is with the heart of the issue. 
um, that can lend itself to everything else. Yeah. And you did all your medical training and your residency and fellowship at Loma Linda. Uh, yeah, nearly. nearly. <laughs> okay, okay, nearly. And which to me is kind of, I mean, ironic because it's one of the blue zones because of the Seventh-day Adventists. Are you Seventh-day Adventist? I am actually. Wow. Good for you. That's awesome. Hopefully my hopefully the longevity will pay off from my habits and everything else like that. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know what's interesting about that is that Rip I never learned anything about blue zones. I never learned anything about nutrition. And I don't say this in reprimand of the individual, but I actually rounded on rotation with one of the lead authors of the Adventist Health Study, the yeah. most quoted, recited study in literature as it relates to comparing um, vegans to non-vegans to vegetarians, et cetera, et cetera. And not one mention of the role of nutrition, the role of lifestyle in yeah. terms of intervening on chronic disease. Wow. So is your specialty within cardiology, are you an interventional cardiologist? Is that the correct term? That is. I'm a plumber, right? <laughs> I get down and dirty. I'm a plumber. I try and I, you know, I was trained to go ahead and remount the arteries and declog them and go from there. I always say there's electricians of the heart, electrophysiologists, plumbers of the heart, interventional cardiologists, and then you have body and fender guys, and these are for heart failure and so forth. So as a plumber of the heart who has now em embraced this kind of more lifestyle medicine approach, this holistic approach, uh, are you still doing... A bunch of procedures or has that kind of calmed down a little bit and is your like primary approach now hey this is what you got to be doing or are you putting in the stents and doing the angioplasties and all those things so my fervor has shifted so i still put in stents you know i always kind of use the adage and i tell my kids this my daughter is 16 and we're teaching her how to drive right so it's a it's a great undertaking and yeah. so i tell her you know if you have a flat tire, I have to still re to replace that tire with a spare. But I need to now teach you not to drive over nails, not to roll backwards over the spikes. And that becomes essential. That's important. Now, if the tire is a little bit low, I don't need to change the tire. <laughs> I just need to go ahead and teach you methods on, on driving better. And so that's my approach. If a person's coming in with a massive heart attack, yes, they will get a stent. If a person's coming in with some nondescript symptoms, and they've yet to really adopt lifestyle, they've yet to, to undergo the class one indicated therapy, oh, I pause at that moment. So I'm known as that guy. Every staff member knows. I've given lectures to the staff. The patients know um, yeah. too as well. I'll tell you, ironically, just yesterday I was in the cath lab and my colleague comes over to me sheepishly and he said, you know, guess what? He said, Columbus, my patient just asked me, do you think that that my symptoms could be changed by by my lifestyle, the foods I eat? And he said, every doctor told me, no, it couldn't. And he <laughs> laughed. And he said, well, my colleague, Dr. Batiste, if you were to talk to him, he'd tell you absolutely it can. And so I'll give you some of his paperwork. So I have all of my paperwork there. That yeah. includes books like yours and others and documentaries on it, as well as pamphlets on how to eat um, plant-based approach with it. So I, I want to throw at you a couple different <clears throat> personas. Some people that are going to come to you. They're in your office. The first is a 35-year-old white male. Mm -hmm. He has a total cholesterol of 285, and his father died of a massive heart attack at age 49. Um, 
what would you recommend that this guy do? Well, I mean, the first thing that I'm going to do is I, I want to get a sense of what his symptoms are, if he's having symptoms or if his fear is over the future events there. So the first thing is to seek to understand what his concerns are, his level of understanding and level of concern. Next thing is I want to inquire where he's at in the space, what his diet is like, what his activity is like, what his blood pressure is like, providing knowledge and information. Next thing I want to do is I want to ascertain his risk, right? So inherently he has some genetic risk predisposition, but what's his risk based upon these things there? And then begin at that point, ask him what his desire is. What's his why? What's his goal, right? And so what does he want, in other words? After I establish what he wants, the question then uh, uh, arises as to what are you willing to do to get what you want? And what are you willing not to do to get what you want, Mm -hmm. right? And so as we move down that paradigm, now I try and get a sense of his readiness for change because not everyone is the same. And that may not happen in in one visit. It may happen in sequential visits that are there. As I identify his readiness for change, now I intervene where he's at outlining the goal. If it's 26.2 miles of the marathon, that's our goal, but we may start at one mile today, yeah. right? And so identifying where he's at and then beginning that process of leading him down that pathway towards improved health. Yep. And and that's you know remarkably similar to what happened with, with me and one of the guys at the Engine 2 Firehouse. His great-grandfather and grandfather died before the age of 50 from massive heart attacks. His father had triple bypass at 51. At the age of 33, he had a cholesterol of 344. Mm -hmm. And he was a self-proclaimed third-generation redneck. And every meal had to have a big piece of preferably fried meat on it, right? And it was after that 344 that he was like, damn, I got to do something. This is scary. And that's when we, you know, all decided to, you know, chip in and and start eating plants strong at the firehouse. Um, So let me give you another one. And maybe the the answer is always the same, but so you got a 41 year old Hispanic female, she's Mm -hmm. type two diabetic, hypertensive, a hundred pounds overweight. And she's come to you because she's got angina, a little bit of chest pain. Yeah. So the first thing in that in that particular instance is knowing that her risk factors that she clearly has what sounds like metabolic syndrome. She's obese, yeah. she's diabetic already, maybe a bit hypertensive. So she has all of the fertilizer for having bad coronary disease. So my first step is to I, to to address her need, which is how bad is your angina? How severe? What's the risk level that's here? Are we talking about high risk features? And so I'm probably going to undergo what I call risk stratification, either a stress test or either some imaging, a calcium score at that point. Once I identify that, now, once again, it still entails some of the same issues as before. I want to tap into our cultural because sometimes in different cultures, there's a fear of getting too small, right? The, the perception that, oh, I won't be, I won't be as appealing, right? Or right. either the pressures, the pressures in terms of our household, in terms of the foods. It, it makes me remember a story one time, uh, a patient situation where I was, they were Hispanic and unfortunately they were not very affluent and we were talking about the the meals and eating and i was going through my whole little pitch i was giving the elevator pitch as quickly as i could there and the guy stopped me and he's just like doc you know the apartment i live in has like roaches he was like i don't really have like all of those things and i had to come to a screeching halt and realize we need, i need to meet you where you're at i started shifting the dialogue towards 
canned foods. I start shifting the dialogue to, okay, you know what? When you're out, here's what I want you to choose when you're at certain places and beginning the process of meeting them where they're at. And I think that's the key when I hear about different ethnicities and cultures is trying to address and bring that into the, the uh, equation of the yeah. approach of lifestyle. Yep. Uh, all right. I'm liking it. Um, so 55 year old African, African American, uh, he's had three, three stents put in over the last five years. And he's about 60 pounds overweight and he comes to you and he also is reticent to eat white food. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What, 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 do you, what do you say to him? Yeah. So if I'm a dive straight in at the food, I mean, usually for men, I'll hit them where it hurts. <laughs> I'll hit them as a, I'll hit them where it hurts, and I, I usually try and tackle that like upfront, and yeah. I'll talk to them about their sexual um, performance, yeah, and talk about the relationship between that and their heart, that relationship not only between longevity, about where they see them, their future self, right, and oftentimes we put off on our future self. I'll speak to patients who are around that age, and I'll speak to them who are looking to retire in maybe five, ten years, and I'll speak to them about how they had to put money aside for retirement. And what's the purpose of doing that? To live the life that you want to live when you retire. And so how you have to put aside perhaps some of your pre-prescribed likes and dislikes from early on to live the life you want to live from a health perspective, adopting a, a dietary approach. As I would begin to kind of discuss all of those things and bring it home to the question, they don't want to eat white food, I would bring them back to really the core foundation of their foods, as I would do anyone. And it's like, okay, well, why don't we look at since... African-Americans are diverse, right? It's not a, a, a uniform area. They may arise from the Caribbean or from the South. And I'll speak to certain things. Kalaloo, if they're from Jamaica, I'll, I'll speak to collard greens and mustards and kale. They're rich in the culture. Like my folks are from New Orleans. I'll speak to like red beans and the power of beans. Mm. I'll speak to the issue of okra that comprise of, of gumbo and how the beneficial effects of of okra that that are there, right? And even from the immune function, I'll speak to all of the the natural aspects um, of foods and the positive aspects and say, let's begin to go ahead and focus on those. And and it brings me back to a story when when I I was dating my wife, I decided to cook her a meal. I've been vegetarian my whole life. I've been plant strong, to use your terminology, for at least now the past uh, 13 years. And so when... when, uh, I brought my wife and I made these red beans. There was a guy at her job who was from the South. And he said, you can't tell me there's no meat in these greens, in these beans. I said, there's not one. You don't have to use be- uh, meat yeah. to make them creamy, to make them textured. And so when I do my cooking classes, that's when I love to bring out the points that we can bring your culture and incorporate that and eat, eat well and thrive. So you, <clears throat> you just said something that piqued my interest. So you teach cooking classes? Yes, I, I don't want to overstate that I'm 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 a, a massive chef. I can cook a little bit. I've been cooking since since I was a kid with my mom and so forth. But yeah, I do. So I'll talk about the health benefits. So as we we for the past three years of pre COVID, we would put on a cooking class. Wow! And that was one of the iterations that I took from your dad. And so every Thursday, it was Thursday night twice a month. We would put these on. And I would talk about the health benefits of the foods. We eat only plant-rich foods, no oil, no salt, no sugar. 
um, and make them, allow folks to taste them at that moment. And so we would tend to peak from a, a gathering of anywhere from 20 to about 60 people who would show up in attendance on wow. a regular basis. Yeah. So with your, with your patients that come in, like the ones that we just talked about, yeah. um, and they're, let's say they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious in this plant-based thing. What's my next step? What do you as an interventional cardiologist, where do you send them? What's their next step down the path? Yeah. So when I was chief, what I did was I brought in a, a dietitian. So when I was in training for internal medicine and at the VA hospital, what we would do is we would have a smoking cessation doctor that was there. So after you see someone, you'd send them right immediately over. So in that way, you capture them. I felt the same thing was needed from nutrition. So I wanted to have a dietitian right there that I can at least make a connection and then have her follow up with them. And so that's what I started. That's my normal um, spiel. I will give them information. I will encourage them. I give them the medical benefits of it. And I introduce them to the, to the dietitian. And I give them simple tools to start this process, right? So I'm a big advocate of the bowl method. And that's usually what, how I'll encourage folks to begin the process. What, wait, what did you say that method is called? The what method? Bowl, bowl method. Bowl. Bowl, yes. So, B-O-W-L. You know, it's just, yeah, yeah. B-O-W-L. Not my, <laughs> yeah. not my new bowl, the 7'6 former <laughs> basketball player or, or anything else. But yeah. but yeah, the bowl. So start with your, start with your grain, legume, your veggies. Yeah. You make it, you can make it any uh, ethnic cuisine that you want and choose. And you throw in there the flavors of the earth, right? Your salsas, your spices, and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. No, you're exactly right. What I love about the bowl method, uh, I actually write about it extensively in my third book, The Engine 2 Seven-Day Rescue, is it's just like no recipe recipes where exactly, right? You're taking the the extra grain, the beans, the the greens. I love what you just said, the... uh, What'd you say? The, the taste of the earth, something of the earth. <laughs> yeah. The flavors of the earth. Flavors yeah. of the earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the crazy part. So we were doing a cooking class and my dietitian, I told her, listen, I want to do a no cooking cooking class. And she looked at me and she was like, nobody <laughs> wants that. Nobody mm-hmm. wants us to do that. They want to taste foods that we're preparing. I said, trust me. They want a no cooking cooking class. So every yeah. session I open up with my spiel introduction before we go. And I said, you know what? I want to see the hands. I, because we have a debate right now going on. I said, what, do you guys want to no cooking cooking class? The hands went up like they were in the stadium. They were like, yes. I was like, yeah. For those of you who don't cook, you're too busy. The no cooking cooking class. Yeah. And so uh, it was a huge success. Oh, no yeah. That, that's like, you know, 30 second abs. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. I'm still Sounds... working on those. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know that abs are... Abs are made in the kitchen, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, <clears throat> let me let me give you another persona, one or two, uh, and then we'll move on. So, and this is just in case we have a listener that this resonates with. 62-year-old female. She's Indian. Uh, she moved to the United States 15 years ago, grew up vegetarian, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously consumed a lot of dairy and put ghee on everything. And she now has cholesterol above 250, LDL above 130, and um, and is about pre-diabetic and is overweight by about 40 pounds. Same thing? It, 
<laughs> Nearly. I think at that, this point, I want to acknowledge her background. Yeah. I want to affirm her background in terms of the fact that she's been vegetarian. I want to affirm the, ba- the background in terms of the rich flavors of the earth. We use that once again, the turmeric and the others, the anti-inflammatory. I want to affirm all those, those aspects. I want to affirm what she knows already, which is the, the large burden of disease inside the South Asian population. Right. In terms of cardiovascular events and how this is common. And at that point now, I want to query her in terms of knowing full knowledge of the food cuisine, of the types of foods, the amount of of unrefined and no fat added vegetables and grains and various aspects there and begin the process of communicating with her step by step how she can still maintain her culture, the spices, the aromas, the flavors without the fat. And beginning that process of moving her through. And, you know, I use different aspects. I talk about, you know, I mean, really, it's the same thing. We're doing the same insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. And so she's seeing many around her who are succumbing to disease as she herself is following along those footsteps. And so something has to change. And so the question isn't whether or not change needs to happen. It's what is she willing to do to bring about that change? Yeah. And we go down that road. Um. So you, you mentioned fat there, and obviously, you know, sh- she's been overloading on the ghee, which is probably pushing her fat content up, I don't know, well over probably 30% of her total calories. With your with your patients that you're trying to help them, and I'm going to use a term that, so I had Colin Campbell on the podcast a couple months ago, and he's like, you know, I wish that S and everybody, they would stop saying prevent and reverse. What you're doing is you're treating the disease. He's like, you're treating heart disease. So I'm just going to use that. So um, for patients that want to treat their heart disease, is there a, a percentage of fat that you recommend they try and hit, you know, ballpark area? I'll tell you, I simplify things. There is, but I'll be honest, the vast majority of people, well, first, let me take a step back. Yeah. When individuals come to me and if they're at the point of saying, doc, how much fat should I have? They're at a whole different level in playing. Yeah. That's the that's on the Gaussian bell distribution. <laughs> that's an outlier. Yeah. The vast majority of folks are are getting into the standard American diet. Whether or not, and I always say standard American diet is vegan style, gluten-free style, whatever you want to call it, but it's highly refined, processed, overcooked, and everything of that sort. And that's what we have to move away from. And so I get to them as it relates to frying. And so my main thing, because there's been such huge amount of of I won't say arguments, but discussion as it pertains to different things. I focus on eating real food, whole food. And so as we begin that process of eating real food, whole food, that may contain fat if it's chia and flax seeds, if it's aspects of a certain amounts of avocado, that's where I point them to as a, an initial. And I will firmly move, remove them away from refined fats and animal fats completely and talk about from a caloric standpoint, mm-hmm. talk about breaking it down to something tangible, the amount of uh, that, that we, we play this game in terms of the food industry, in terms of ounces and grams and everything that isn't incomprehensible to people yeah. and trying to break it down at that point mm-hmm. in that level to have them recognize what they're doing to their bodies. Right. And, uh, and they'll come back and, oh, well, it hasn't been shown that a little bit's okay. I said, well, define a little bit, define moderate. I was saying this to just a colleague. He said, oh, moderate is okay. 
I yeah. said, really? Okay. I said, let's talk about moderate. <laughs> and that's what I loved about your dad's book. I, you know, I'm not trying to be his cheerleader on this episode here, but for years I would lecture and I would talk about his chapter in this book, which is moderation kills. Right. My wife hated, my wife hated <laughs> when I would do that. She's like, you're alienating people. And I said, but it's true. What does moderation mean? Yeah. You know, it means so many different things to different people. So I do, I hit him hard with the fat, but I try and make it simple as a start. And as they move, because so it's not insurmountable. And then once they get closer, now I begin to refine and talk about driving that fat percentage down, right? For them, right? As they've lost weight and going from many of these people, 40, 50, 60% down to 20, 10% is yeah. where I'm trying to trying to get them if possible and, and looking at things from a caloric standpoint. Yep. Yep. I think that's really, really smart. You're meeting them where they are so that they can hear the message, you know, kudos to you. All right. I got another one for you. And this just happened to me two days ago. So I got a guy I've been swimming with for probably 20 years with the master's swim program. And he had a heart attack. His first heart, he's probably 65. He had his first heart attack when he was like 43. And after meeting me, he kind of started to embrace this. He's done better and better and better. So the other morning in the locker room, he said, Rip, I'm not taking any, <clears throat> any, uh, any statins right now. My total cholesterol is 131. My LDL is like 68. So my numbers are great, but I got my CT calcium score back the, the other day. And it was like, and I can't remember what he said, let's just say 150 points higher than it was the previous time. And I'm freaking out. So, and I've know that I've heard you talk about stabilizing, right? Those plaque formations. And I'm yes. wondering if, you, if for our listeners that have gotten, a, that are following this whole food plant-based lifestyle, everything, all their numbers are looking gorgeous, but then they get a CT calcium scan that's elevated. Is that good, bad? What is that? What does that mean? Yeah, no, and, and no, that's an important question. So what we know is that the calcium score is a marker of events. Um, it's what it's, it's suggestive of the atherosclerotic process, the hardening of the vessels, the calcium de deposits that are there from the atheroma. Now, taking a few steps backwards, yeah. one of the things that I do for patients just like that, and I have some like this, and where they're in a dilemma, do I want to take something or do I not? First thing I do is I'll say, well, let's check several other additional profiles. Let's check a small dense LDL, which I don't normally check if their cholesterol levels are through the roof high. Let's check a C-reactive protein. Let's see what the inflammation is like in your body, right? And now this will give us further inference to do you, is there some role or value for additional support given your prior cardiovascular event, right? Because still within the medical literature, that's, and we can discuss that at nauseum, but there still is a class one indication for that. So I'll discuss with them really about that role. After, if I see their inflammation, inflammatory markers are high, their C-reactor protein is high, their small dense, L, uh, dense LDL is high. Now we have a dilemma mm. at that point. And now we're having a legitimate discussion of what are you, once again, what's your goal? What are you willing to do? What are you willing not to do? right? In order to achieve this. And I've had some patients staunch in the plant-based movement who looked at me square in the face and said, I will not take anything. I said, okay. I say, I understand. I understand. I've had others. They said, you know, I want, ma I want max protection. And I said, okay, you have to continue because here's the thing. 
I know if you don't take your medicine because the refills. Mm. I mean, of course, you can just buy medicine and never take it and just sit there. But chances are you're refilling it because you need it. I don't know if you cheat and go off the bandwagon for six months, three months, a year between our visits. Yeah. That if you succumb. And so the question that you have to ask yourself as listeners out there is, how reliable are you to you? How reliable... Everything you do every single moment is playing a role in the foundation for your future self, right? And you're investing in your future health either way to poor health or to wellness. And we say illness versus wellness all the time. And so that's the dilemma that we're that I'm struck with when I hear a case like that. And so in many instances that I, I am a bit concerned about if I have sequential calcium scores and it's going up, it does make me a bit concerned. Um, now, I might take that another step and say, let's do a full coronary CT, but it just depends upon the patient. It depends on whether or not he's had a heart attack inside that area, but the other areas all look fine, which may mean that it's a bit old and it may change my perspective slightly. Good, right. I like it. So you said a couple things in that answer that made me want to uh, ask you, what is your definition of health span? Uh, I've heard you talk about that in the past, and I, I like the way that sounds. Yeah, no, health span is the health span is more important than lifespan. You know, I think just personally, once again, I look at my dad, he died at age 78, which mm. people say, well, that's a robust life. Well, no, his health span probably ended when I was a teenager. Mm as his disease began to spiral, right? As I went to college and I came back and, and his ability to walk, my father-in-law, and by the way, they both passed the same year. Mm. <laughs> my father-in-law from hypertension and ill effects that led to kidney failure and so forth. But once again, his health span ended before he went on dialysis many years ago. So that meant like 30, last 30 years of his life were not healthy. They were revolving around doctor's appointments, revolving around pill schedules, revolving around procedure schedules. And that's not a healthy way of living. It doesn't allow us to be vibrant. It doesn't allow us to live our life with purpose or enjoy our families. No. So it was revolving around basically being sick. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So speaking of which, um, you said you're the youngest of six. Uh, yes. So you got five, what, brothers and sisters? What's the combination there? Yeah, I have two brothers. I have three sisters that, that are there. And so I fall right into my birth order when I'm around the family. I'm okay. the little brother, so I may spur and poke and prod yeah. at them, or either I'm quiet and I let them yeah. answer. Even if it's medical things, all of a sudden, I'm not really saying much. <laughs> <laughs> now, are, are they supportive of what you're doing? And have they like jumped on the bandwagon? They are supportive of me as their brother. Um, and every blue moon, they will tell me that they're making a concerted effort to be healthier and that they are working their, 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 uh, themselves towards that end goal. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Uh, as the, the old saying goes, a prophet's not necessarily respected in their own home. Uh, <laughs> I, get, I definitely get more traction outside, but, um, but it's, it's interesting. I think that paradigm has allowed me to be much more to empathetic, to empathize with people. Yes. The struggles when you're trying to, to lead a healthful life and your family isn't necessarily there, or you're trying to eat a, a lead a healthful life and your spouse wants to eat out all the time. How do you navigate that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think it's given me a unique perspective 
as it relates to to that transition that at the end of the day it doesn't matter you have to do what you have to do yeah you know it's interesting you you uh, made me think of a time when i was giving a uh a talk at a whole food store. Cause you know, I did that for 10 years. I was a whole food market ambassador and we were sitting, there were maybe 50 of us in a circle. And uh, at the end, I asked just anybody that wanted to share a little story. And this one gentleman from, he was 72 years old from Richardson, Texas. And he said that in 2005, he read the China study and it totally changed the way he looked at food. He was one of 10 brothers and sisters. And he shared it. He said that he was the youngest. He shared it with every one of his brothers and sisters. And he said they all poo-pooed it. And they said they would rather die fat and happy, right, than eat this rabbit food. And he said, I'm here to tell every one of you sitting around this circle today that not one of my brothers and sisters is alive today. So in that Mm. 10-year span, right, between 2005 and 2015, every one of them passed away. So it's just, it, it, it is remarkable to me, the, the lengths that people will go to, to dig in their heels and not have an open mind around this lifestyle. Absolutely. Truly is. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it definitely takes a commitment and a willingness to understand. And you know, the, the problem is, is that it's such normalization of the, of the, the norm has become eating the standard American diet, which is not the norm throughout the history of this country or the history of the world. And that now has become the norm. It's it's a failure when we call alternative medicine lifestyle medicine. When alternative medicine, lifestyle medicine should be the norm. And alternative medicine is conventional medicine, where this is now the secondary approach that should be taken. This should not be the first or primary source. Uh, you brought this up when you mentioned um, Colin Campbell. I always tell patients the same thing, which is just, listen, my goal as a provider is to help decrease your symptoms and help you live longer. So as we go down this road, let's ask ask and answer the question. Does a whole food plant-based diet help you feel better? The answer is check the box, yes. (laughs) Does a whole food plant-based diet eating plant-predominant foods help you live longer? Check the box, the answer is yes. As you look down the plethora of research, the growing body of research, it continues to affirm the same process over and over or same findings which is the most important. So I don't have to use words like reverse. I don't have to use words like cure. I don't have to use words like remission. Right. I'm using words like this is a tool in your tool chest to treat that you have to start here first. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> how long have you been with Kaiser Permanente? Well, I was born at Kaiser Permanente, so that would be day one. <laughs> but hey, you're I very, lo- you're very loyal, aren't you? I am. I'm a loyal. I'm a loyal individual. Yes, I married 23 years, and with Kaiser now 49. Uh, so I uh, came out of training and joined Kaiser. I've been with Kaiser ever since. And Kaiser's got. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they've got a very interesting model where they're very supportive of um of their physicians recommending a, a whole food plant-based diet to their patients uh, absolutely absolutely and that's, absolutely. and that's and that's kind of uh makes them a bit of an outlier if i'm not mistaken that pre- preventative kind of um lead with prevention approach yes yes you know that really truly was one of the most important aspects within kaiser is the fact that <clears throat> the the origins of the organization were built off of prevention. 
And so even as providers, we are we're given bonuses. Our ability to be transitioned into partnership is based off of how we keep patients well. If we ah. keep you well, we do better, right? And it makes sense. I'll tell you, it's a wonderful system. The only problem with it is the fact that if patients leave us and go to another insurance, the other insurance gets to, to reap the benefits of all of our strong work in prevention, in screenings and so forth. Um, but it's phenomenal. So that it, it lends itself to make sense why there's a support of us acknowledging lifestyle. So I like that. So you are incentivized by Kaiser to keep people well, and then you will get, you know, bonuses based upon that. Brilliant. Correct. Brilliant. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you this. Uh, and we're, we're, um, we're wrapping up our time here. So uh, just a couple of closing questions for you, um, Columbus. Your kids, you've got, you've got two kids, right? Yes. Two beautiful kids. Are they plant strong slash plant-based? Once again, up and down. So I started them off no doubt they have to be plant-based, right? Growing up. And as they've gotten older, I'll be honest, they've gone into the seesaw. But what's so interesting is my son at age 14, he'll be 15 in, in a month and a half. He's six feet, one inches <laughs> tall. He says, you know, dad, I liked it better when you wouldn't let us make our own decisions and we had to eat this food. I felt better. <laughs> my daughter says it too, as well. And so they understand. And I'll be honest, Rip, this is the part I don't know the right approach. I wish I did. I've chosen the approach of planting seeds and setting an example as they've gotten older because I realized I'm not around them on a regular basis. And so in that way, I'm living the message and that they're seeing the effects of it, um, but trying not to be judgmental. And, and so in that process, I'm seeing them as they floundered for a bit, come right back full circle and begin that process. And that's the part that's so encouraging to me, because if the motivation comes from them and not external, that's the goal. And that's the key. Yeah. I think, I think you're right on the, <clears throat> right on the money there. Uh, I really do. Um, so winding down, do you have a hero in your life? that's kind of inspires you along your, your, your path and your journey? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say my greatest inspiration would probably have to be my family, to be honest with you. My dad, you know, who passed my mom, the disease burden that's there. And that was one of the main reasons why, even within this whole plant-based movement, like I decided to kind of really tailor some of my approaches to specific targeted communities of a message that I almost see almost like a superhero movie. You know, there's a good guy, there's a bad guy. You yeah. have Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, Black Panther. There's always a good guy versus a bad guy. The good guy wins in the end, but they're wrapped inside of a different story that may be attractive to different segments of the population. And so <clears throat> seeing what happens inside of my family, their disease burden, their level of receptiveness or non-receptiveness has really inspired me to take a slightly different trajectory along this plant-based journey to really target individuals and really try and loop them in and let them know that this isn't uh, one, this isn't just for one segment. It's not for one financial strata. It's not for certain groups. It's for everyone. And it applies to everyone once you dig beneath the surface and showing that and demonstrating that. So that's been my passion. And so I'd say my family as a whole would yeah. be my main driver for all of this. So it's your birthday today. How old are you? Yes, I am 49 today. 
crazy. You're not even, you're not even 50. That's incredible. <laughs> you, you got, you, you're not even halfway done with this amazing life. That's so exciting. <laughs> That's, it, it, listen, I'll tell you, it's a blessing. I had someone ask me, how old do I feel? And I said, feel kind of the same. I actually feel a little bit younger now as I've let go of some responsibilities and I have a sense of comfort with who I am. That's, yeah. that's kind of freeing in a sense. So I'm definitely blessed. And I definitely feel that that's really our goal is to give back is to help people. That's the ultimate goal is to help people and deliver this message as best as we can to everyone out there. Here, here, here. You got a birthday party planned for you tonight? <laughs> no, I'm not into birthday parties like <laughs> no, that. No, uh, <laughs> no, not, not too much. I usually keep it. I usually keep it on the down low and don't yeah. really mention much in terms of like birthdays. My wife will. Yeah. And the family, the kids do, but uh, just gonna hang out with the family, enjoy. Are they gonna have a plant-based cake for you? They usually do, but I'll tell you, man. I'm right now. I'm on this mission. Talk about fifty to just get in the best shape of my life, and so you, I even went. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I'm really refining out the types of foods, the types of every the. I'll be honest. I never deal with macros. Yeah. Because of the fact that I think it's too complicated for not that patients can't understand it, but let's make things as simple as possible. But I'm really focusing on the the, the character of the, the types of foods I eat that is going to refine in my exercise. It really doesn't matter how busy I am at work. I'm still coming in. I had a yeah. long day in, in the lab yesterday, came home, put in my hour and a half. And so I'm on a, I'm on a mission to live the wellness journey and be selfish. Like I like to say, I tell people it's about your yeah. spirituality, which is like mm -hmm. meditation, gratitude, your exercise, your love at the central component is your food, real food, whole food, intimacy from intimate relationships, your sleep and laughing humor, right? And you have to get selfish in order to kind of really live a life. And so yeah. I'm trying to adopt that every single day as I lead to the big five O next year yeah so. yeah so for everything you just said there is there an acronym for it or you just kind of yeah, know that what? no that's it selfish Self. oh that's the acronym selfish yeah, selfish. selfish is the acronym selfish okay. is the acronym okay so. hit, hit, hit me hit me with each one one more time okay so selfish s stands for spirituality now yeah. that means different things to different people meditation prayer yeah. gratitude i'm putting inside that area taking time time just to reflect that's s the E stands for exercise. Doesn't have to mean cross marathoning. Doesn't have to mean uh, swimming. It could just be getting neat with it. Non-exercise activity thermogenesis, walking around, doing different things. The L stands for love. Choosing actively to love yeah. more than hate, right? We know the impact on the vessels. We know the impact on the heart. That's tremendous. Um, the F is the central component, which is food, real food, whole food, yeah. plant-rich food, plant-strong food. The I stands for intimacy, not in a yeah. sexual way, but yeah. intimacy and relationships that you can communicate. I give the analogy with my mom and her dog, right? My mom lives with me and she said, oh, my dog is my best friend. I was a little hurt. I was like, <laughs> how is your dog your best friend? I'm standing right here. But she loved the dog. And so this dog knows when she's, she's feeling sad, when she's having arthritic pains, whatever it may be that's there. The S, second S stands for sleep, something we all neglect. To, to, to get our to-do list done, right? But getting real rich sleep, dreamful sleep that's there. And the last, the H stands for humor, for laugh. Mm, mm. Finding something in life to laugh about, right? Not laugh at people, <laughs> but to laugh with people, right? Mm. And so whether it's a, a joke, whether or not it's a show, 
And so those things are validated in science. And so, you know, that that's that's one of the most important aspects, I believe, in order to achieve, achieve the goal. Yep. So everybody out there, let's get selfish. Let's get, get selfish, selfish. Every, every day. Make it rich. That's make right. it count. I love it. That's right. So Dr. Columbus Batiste, I want to thank you for joining me on the Plant Strong podcast. I want to thank you for being a trailblazer uh, and for all the work you're doing to help people see uh, the power of a whole food plant-based diet to basically give them the heart they deserve. I love it. Appreciate you. I appreciate yeah. you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Following your footsteps. Hey, repeat after me. Peace. <laughs> That's Turn it right. around. Peace. Engine two. Just <laughs> I like that. Plant strong. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. sir. Yes. Got you. <laughs> you know, your health span really is more valuable than your lifespan. Thank you, Dr. Columbus Batiste, for dedicating your life to your patients and emphasizing the power of plants to add life to our days. You are a brilliant agent of change. For links to all of the resources in today's episode, visit plantstrongpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and we'll see you next week. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Kryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.